0: Welcome to the award-winning Doing Customer Experience Right podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, a professional global speaker and CX expert. This show is about action over theory, focusing on applying proven strategies to deepen customer relationships and increase loyalty as your competitive advantage. Besides achieving better human and business outcomes, each episode aims to elevate your professional and personal growth too. To continue learning, Please subscribe to my newsletter at doingcxright.com. Today, I'm talking to David Meerman Scott about his concept of fanocracy, turning fans into customers and customers into vocal fans. We explore why tapping into passionate communities is so crucial for today's businesses in the digital age. We also explain the science behind our innate desire to be part of something bigger and how companies can ethically tap into this dynamic. You'll hear about a CEO who leveraged his love for classic cars to create a customer obsession that outperformed the competition. Whether your business deals in products or services, you'll gain strategies to cultivate authentic superfans who are eager to champion your brand. Now, let's get started. Hello, David Meerman Scott. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show.
1: Hey, Stacey. Good to be here with you today.
0: Oh, I am so excited to kick off the new year with you and uh, my next season. And so here we are. I know who you are, but please tell my audience, who are you? What do you do professionally?
1: I'm honored that I'm the first of the season. How cool is that? Uh, So I was uh, a corporate marketing guy at a bunch of different technology companies. But for the last nearly 25 years, I've been um, advising emerging, emerging companies, Um, both as a coach and as a formal member of boards of advisors of companies like HubSpot and so on. And I've written 13 books. Um, Four of those are international bestsellers. My books are in 30 languages. Um, And I deliver speeches all over the world. To date, 41 countries I've spoken in. Um, So it's a, a great, fun way to get myself out there in multiple ways.
0: Mm. What is a fun fact that people might not know about you?
1: Aha, uh-huh. a fun fact. So I have one of the world's best collections of artifacts from the Apollo Lunar Program. And I um, I started this collection about 25 years ago. I own the rotational control handle from Apollo 12. I've got a checklist that was used on the surface of the moon with Apollo 17. I've got an Apollo guidance computer. That led to actually one of my books, which is called Marketing the Moon. And that was turned into a three-part American Experience mini-series from PBS. Um, so I've managed in a number of different ways to take my uh, my loves of interesting and oddball things, and turn them into marketing
0: books. Oh, that is so clever and creative! I wonder if there's a way to do that with pickleball.
1: <laughs> sure there is. Sure there is. Hey, you're you're talking to the guy who wrote marketing lessons from the Grateful Dead, so definitely there's something you can do with pickleball.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, one more fun fact about you and. This is about the younger David. If you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger David?
1: So my father and all of my parents' friends were corporate people. I grew up in Connecticut um, near the IBM headquarters, a bunch of other corporate headquarters. And everybody who I knew was... um, the sons or daughters of corporate types, and uh, I naturally gravitated to doing the corporate thing. And uh, I re- I wish that the younger David knew that the entrepreneurial lifestyle was something that would end up being uh, super important for me and my life, and and the people that I love to interact with, like you, Stacy. And so. I'm conflicted about this advice to my my younger self because without the corporate experience, I'm not sure I could get where I am with my entrepreneurial work. So who knows? I'd love to have the advice, but maybe that would throw me uh, into a, a tailspin because I would have, have joined the entrepreneurial world too early. Who knows?
0: Oh, I relate to that because this is my first... Full year, not even a full year yet of life outside of corporate. That's all ah, I've ever known. How's it,
1: how's it going for you? I'll turn the tables and ask you a question. <laughs> how's it? How's it going for you so far?
0: I love, love, love it so much. Although I miss the steady income and the yeah. benefits and insurance and and. But you are right that that all the things I learned in corporate over the years has made me who I am today. And so yeah. you're yeah. right, you know, we can't. I
1: think, I mean, I, I, I think if I were to have started in the entrepreneurial path in my, say, 20s or early 30s, I'm, it would have been a very different path. Let's put it that way. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been successful, but it would not have been the path that I ended up taking. Um, mm. uh, so, but I'm super glad I found it when I did. Um, because um, the last half of my career has been uh, exceptionally fun, interesting, and also financially lucrative. Um, Mm -hmm. I was able, and I I expect the same thing will be true of you, to not worry about those things like insurance and steady paychecks, (laughs) because um, that will come. That will come when, when, uh, when you when you become an entrepreneur and put yourself out there, uh, and mm. provide a service or product or idea that people will want.
0: Well, for listeners here, you thought you were going to get just about customer experience and fandom, but you get a lot more with this episode. If you're thinking about reinvention, David and I are encouraging you. So yeah, there we go. There you go. <laughs> well. So let's get to the heart of the show, which is about what is your interpretation when I say doing CX right, doing customer experience right? What does that mean to you, David?
1: You know, I've been thinking about this because I've been excited to come on the show for quite some time. And to me, it's bringing a humanity to business. And that's a really broad concept. Um, and I think it's super important, especially in today's world. Um, you just said, as, we, as you kicked off, it's the turn of the year. It's 2024 as we're recording this. And the last year, 2023, has been all about artificial intelligence and ChatGPT and all the other AI tools. And yeah, they're great. And yes, I use them myself. However, they're actually the opposite of humanity because it. Those tools allow you, allow people to create content without actually creating it, to um, provide tools without actually creating them. Again, I use them myself. It's not a bad thing. But I think that doing CX right is about bringing a humanity to business, which increasingly, in my mind, is getting lost.
0: Oh, we could spend just the time together on this topic, but we will go on. You say that the most powerful marketing force in the world isn't social media, email blasts, search ads, or even those 15-second commercials on YouTube videos. It's fandom. Explain that.
1: So I've, um, my most recent book is called Fanocracy. I wrote Fanocracy with my daughter, Reiko. She's, um, when we first started working on this book, she was um, in the beginning of medical school. She's now graduated from medical school, is in her residency in emergency medicine at Boston Medical Center. And I wanted to write it with Reiko because I'm, as you can see if you're watching this, but if you're only listening to it, I'm a middle-aged white guy who loves the Grateful Dead and loves to surf um, and loves the Apollo Lunar program, as I said earlier. And Reiko is a millennial mixed race um, emergency room doctor who lives, loves Harry Potter and K-pop. So we couldn't be different. <laughs> however, <laughs> mm-hmm. however... We have the same idea of fandom, and and the way this book came about is, um, I think it was eight or eight or so years ago, we were sitting down to dinner at our house, and I was talking about how social media has become so polarizing, and this is a long time ago. This is eight years ago. So, the, so social media has become polarizing. The algorithms are pushing people into. Um, these, these different buckets. And, um, and, and it wasn't a human approach in many ways. I was saying that even eight years ago. And she agreed with me. And then we both started to talk about the things that we love. Um, Mm. There's a surfboard behind me here. Um, I love to surf. I love, I love going to rock music concerts. I've been to over a hundred Grateful Dead concerts. I've been to um, 800, 900 and 50, I think, four now, concerts since I was 15 years old of different bands. Reiko, huge K-pop fan. She actually wrote a, a, an alternative ending novel to the Harry Potter series where Draco Malfoy is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix. So we were geeking out about this idea of fandom. So we decided to dig in deep and write the book. And her um, major at Columbia um, undergraduate was neuroscience. So we brought a neuroscience aspect to this idea of fandom. And as we dug in deep to the idea of fandom, what we recognized is that everybody is a fan of something, a sports team, a rock band, a a novelist, a a technology company, and it can be B2B. Um, We found a government agency that has hundreds of millions of fans. It's NASA. Um, So, Stacey, I'll turn it once again. I'll ask you, what are you a fan of?
0: Hmm. I'm a big fan of podcasting, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> podcasting, there you go. So everybody has something yeah. that they're a fan of. And the idea of using this concept of fandom as a form of doing customer experience, as a form of marketing, as a as, as an under, underlying aspect of, of how companies engage was absolutely fascinating to us. And I'll give you just one example. Uh, we met um, McKeel Haggerty. He's the CEO of, of an automobile insurance company. And the company is called Haggerty. So let me ask you, I am t- keep turning the tables on you. Let me ask you a question. Do you love auto insurance? Are you a fan of auto insurance? Not at all. Not at all. Only if I need, and,
0: only if I need it, though.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. But so... Nobody is a fan of auto insurance because it, it's it's no fun to spend money on auto insurance, and it's even worse to need it because it means you crashed your car. If you have it, it's great, but um, uh, but it's not a fun product. And McKeil Haggerty. CEO of, entrepreneurial CEO of Haggerty Insurance said, so David, we can't market our insurance the same way everybody else does. Now they, they do classic car auto insurance. And, and he said, we can't market the way everyone else does because I don't want to spend more money on ads than everybody else. I don't want to compete with the gecko um, commercials. Um, I don't want to become the low cost provider either. And he said, let's focus on fandom. And they did a great job. They've got a great YouTube channel, over a million subscribers. They have a magazine that comes out um, six times a year. Um, they have taken all of their data because they know how much people's cars are worth because they insure them, uh, of creating a classic car database of prices of how much different classic cars are works, worth. Um, so, you, you know, if you happen to have a, I don't know, a 1961 Mercedes-Benz um, uh, sports car. You could find out how much that's worth. And all of these things serve to build fans for Haggerty. And they be, have quickly become the number one um, classic car auto insurance um, company in the entire world. They went public on the New York Stock Exchange. And I, I've interviewed him a couple of times. And he says, no question at all, it's because of fandom. Because there's no way we could have been this successful if we did what everybody else does, which is focus on the product, which is car insurance, or focus on advertising, or focus on being a low-cost provider. We had to go the route of fandom.
0: So I want to peel that back a little bit because it's funny I said podcasting when really my answer, and it correlates to what you're saying, is peer-to-peer education. Okay, interesting. That's what I love, and so what. Podcasting is just a channel for all the different ways I do that. So, what you're talking about with car insurance, right, is not sexy and exciting. But what it sounds like is you talked about the content that helped them become become known and appreciated. Is that correct?
1: Exactly, because the, the product itself, car insurance, is, as you correctly said, in a very eloquent way, it's not sexy, it's not exciting. However, the customers of classic car auto insurance think that their classic cars are sexy and exciting. That they're, a, they're, a, they're not a fan of auto insurance. They're a fan of their mid-1960s Mercedes, or in my case, a 1973 Land Rover. Um, and because they're fans, Haggerty recognized if they become part of the infrastructure of this fandom, they feed into this existing fandom that that can be the way that they do their marketing, the way that they do their um, customer um, support, the way that they do everything that they do. And that's exactly what they did. So as you're talking about this idea that you love um, peer-to-peer communications and podcasting is just one form of it, um, your, your focus is on building fans of others who like this. And, and that is the right approach in my mind. And as my daughter Reiko and I were, were, were researching this idea of fandom, it turns out that all of us, all humans are hardwired to want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people because that's where we're safe and comfortable. And that goes back thousands of generations in human history because, you know, way, 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 way back when, um, you know, you, you were vulnerable if you were by yourself on the tundra or if you were by yourself in the jungle. And once you had a tribe of people, your family group or your community, you were more safe and you had protection. And that's still hardwired in our brain. We spoke with neuroscientists about this idea. And that's why many of us love the idea of of joining in a fandom, whether it's rooting a sports team, um, or whether it's um, going to a classic car auto show, and Haggerty, by the way, goes to all the classic car shows to be with those fans. Yeah. Um, or um, it, it also leads, by the way, to the polarization in our political world as tribes of people um, form around a particular political idea or candidate uh, versus another. Uh, so, if long way of saying, if an organization or a person can tap this fandom, can tap the neuroscience behind mm-hmm. the fandom, the idea that our brains are hardwired to want to be part of, uh, of a tribe of like-minded people, that, that we can do um, amazing things that, yes, serve as marketing, but people don't think of it as classic marketing, as 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 sort of advertising or other ways that that marketing has traditionally done, and it can be super successful. You know, witness Haggerty yes. and them um, being the number one provider and and going public on the stock market.
0: Yeah, absolutely, great example. You know, you remind me of you're talking about community and tribes and one of my jobs uh, last year was working at a contact center, an outsourced uh, contact center. And I was responsible for managing the agent experience. And one of the ways to do that with thousands of customer service agents is to give them a platform to be able to almost Facebook-like and give them a chance to educate each other, get help from each other, not just the corporate heads and that community that you're talking about is why people wanted to work for that company instead of another company. We were facilitating that.
1: Right. It's it's brilliant. Exactly. This idea, and, and you hit on something that's really interesting and also really important. This idea of fandom is not just external, it's also internal. Yeah. And smart companies do exactly what you just described. Rather than, say, a customer experience, it's an employee experience. And um, and fandom is is an important element of that. A great example of this, and, and we wrote about it in our book, Fanocracy, is HubSpot. I've been on the HubSpot advisory board since the very beginning, 2007. And I've seen them progress from about a dozen people, employees, about a dozen employees and about $250,000 in revenue when I first joined the advisory board, and they've got um, well over $2 billion in annual revenue now, something like 7,000 employees. And they're constantly rated on Glassdoor, which is um, a rating system where um, employees can rate their employers. They've Mm -hmm. been, been the number one company to work for in the entire country a couple of different years, top 10 other years. Uh, Boston Globe rated them the number one company to work for in Boston a year, a couple of different years. And it's all because HubSpot has done a great job at at building an experience, building a fandom around working at HubSpot. They've recognized that their employees um, are in an incredibly important constituency to Develop and they are fans, and they are such fans that that um, they rate their company as a fabulous place to work, among the top in the entire nation. And yeah, and, and that's not a not a coincidence. That is, you know, no. very much a focus of the company to do that, um, yeah. and it's worked really, really well for them. Take a look at their stock price.
0: Yeah, well, and we know that CX and an empowered workforce, they are absolutely closely linked. Let me ask you, people, this is the doing CX Right Show, not thinking. So with what you talked about today, what are some things people can literally go do to be able to achieve those similar outcomes? No matter where they are in their journey, what what do you recommend to someone listening to gain that that fandom? (laughs)
1: So I'll, I'll share um, a specific example and also um, tie it into what we're doing right now. So I mentioned this idea of fandom. I mentioned that we spoke with neuroscientists about fandom. So it turns out that, as, as I mentioned earlier, we humans are hardwired to want to be part of a, of a tribe of like-minded people. One neuroscientist whose name is Edward T. Hall Um, identified that the closer you get to someone, the more powerful the shared human emotions, either positive or negative. What that means is that when you're physically close to somebody, the emotions are stronger than when you're farther away from that person. Um, And that's one of the reasons why when you enter a crowded room with your friends or you enter a crowded room at a cocktail party where you know people um, or you go to a conference where everybody is there to celebrate the same kind of event, you know, for example, HubSpot's inbound conference, everyone has the same badge and you know that the people there are part of the same tribe. Um, and it's also partly explains why when you get into a crowded elevator, you're nervous because they're not part of your tribe or you get into a crowded train car. Uh, you're nervous because they're not part of your tribe. So another so that's the first concept to keep that in mind. The closer you get to someone, the more powerful the human emotions. Another form, of neuroscience is called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are the part of our brains that fire when we see somebody doing something and our brains fire as if we are doing it ourselves. And I am hmm. going to demonstrate this for you right now, Stacy, and I'm gonna ask you a question in just a moment. I've Got a lemon and a slice of lemon. If I take a bite of this slice of lemon, my brain fires like crazy because it's very powerful to to bite into a lemon. I'm going to do that now. I'm going to bite into this lemon, and you know my my eyes kind of close and tear a little bit. My mouth puckers up a little bit. And I'm tasting it on my tongue. I'm tasting it on my lips. Biting into a lemon is a, is is a powerful thing, and my brain is firing. Is your brain firing too right now? Yes. It's crazy, right? That's called mirror neurons. Now, I'm going to put these two things, these these several ideas together. Um, the idea that the closer you get to someone, the more powerful the, the human emotions. And the idea that when you see somebody doing something, you're experiencing it as if you're doing it yourself. That's why what we are doing right now, this recording this episode on video and even on audio, but especially on video is super interesting from the perspective of developing fans because we're both um, close to the camera and it's as if we are right across from each other, kind of cocktail party distance or um, uh, bar stool to bar stool sort of distance. And even though intellectually you know that you're not in the same room as me, we're hundreds of miles apart. Even though you know that intellectually, your mirror neurons are firing as if we're in the same room, as if we're bar, bar stool to bar stool stool or at a cocktail party or at a conference, uh, sharing a cup of coffee and having a discussion. And that's why a video podcast like this, that's why uh, um, a, a television news anchor, people feel as though they know The anchor of the evening news. They feel as though they know an actor in a movie because we feel like um, they are in our personal space, like we are right in front of them. And so this is powerful. And it's something that any organization can use right now to develop fans is to create video, whether it's in the form of a video podcast or videos that you put onto YouTube or whatever it might be. But Um, Or also, um, it could be having your customer service representatives send a video message to answer a customer query rather than just a text message. Or it could be your salespeople having a video sales discussion or sending a video through an email. Uh, And there's companies like Vidyard that offer great tools to do that. Sending a video rather than just sending text, because video is super, super powerful from an emotional standpoint, especially when you're close to the camera, talking directly into the lens. The lens is eye level, just like you and I both have. We're both set up properly right now. Eye level at the lens, look directly at the camera, um, and people feel as though they know us.
0: Oh, it's very, very valid and And it goes to empathy in business. And I especially am an empath. I feel what is happening with others so much so. Um, So I really get what you're saying, even when it comes to a lemon. (laughs) (laughs) For sure.
1: Never thought thought I'd pull out a prop as we were talking, did you?
0: You are the first and I love it. So (laughs) we're gonna get to rapid fire here because of time. When you think about the future and all this rapid technology and advancements based on what we know right now, what would you say people need to do right now to plan for the success of the future? We don't know what it's gonna be, but based on what you know now, how do you prepare for that? Give me a, a short answer on that.
1: What I've been focused on a lot, and we touched on it earlier in the show, is the idea that the more that technology is able to reproduce what we can do, things like ChatGPT, great example, the more human we need to either become or remain so mm. important remain that bring continue to bring that human approach to business
0: mm. and we do that by some of the examples like you said of the community and of the use of video and tools to feel like we're in the same space
1: absolutely those are a couple of examples but that's exactly right is it is just you know, treat people as human beings, not as a number in your system. Um, And understand them from their unique perspective. And don't just talk about your products and services, but understand the people you're trying to reach.
0: Yes, well said. Now, we talked before that customer experience is fueled by the employee experience, the workforce. So give me the best advice you've received or given others in terms of leadership? What stands out?
1: Um, So my father, um, as I mentioned earlier, was a a corporate executive. Uh, He worked at technology companies um, around the world. And um, some advice he gave to me, and I remember it was around the time I was starting to go to college, was one of the things that you should focus on is being able to speak in public, because if you can speak in public, Mm -hmm. you're going to be successful in business. And at the time I dismissed that as, ah, okay, fine, whatever, anything you say, dad. Um, And here I am a professional speaker, so go figure, right? But he he was correct in that, um, that uh, that we all use um, speech, whether it's just on the phone with somebody or on Zoom with somebody or um leading an internal meeting at a company all the way up to what I do and I think you do as well present in front of thousands of people at global conferences um yes. so that was that was great advice
0: I love that and I will say that a microphone as soon as it hits my hands or in in my vicinity I get charged with energy and not everybody feels that way so I'm I'm learning that
1: well, no, not not everyone does feel that way. And I used to be super scared. I had to learn, you know, I've been focused really hard on this for 30 something years, 35 years, I think. I started going to Toastmasters back in um, the late 1980s, believe it or not, I mean, a long time ago, um, yeah. to learn how to speak in public. And I'm super glad that I did.
0: Mm. And finally, What's the key takeaway? If I had tons of CEOs and leaders and entrepreneurs in my room right now, and they're listening, what's the one thing you want them to remember?
1: So I wrap all this up in a way that sometimes is surprising to people. Maybe not, but I I say, have fun with it. You know, these ideas that we've been talking about, um, just have fun. Communications Mm -hmm. is fun. You're doing your podcast, either. I can tell that you're having fun with it, you're you're it's on your face, and I enjoy being on it. Um, and, and And, yeah, it's work. yeah, it's marketing for you. Yeah, it's marketing for me, but it's fun. And so business can be fun. That's how that's one way to bring humanity back is yeah. is is do the things that are enjoyable because that will also be enjoyable for your existing and potential customers and help to grow your business.
0: Absolutely. They feel it. Even if it's on a telephone, they feel the smile. So everybody have fun. and have fun. Uh, Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you for being on my show today. And I'm going to include your books and your website and all the different ways to reach you in the show notes. And just thank you for the gift of you today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Stacey.
0: Thank you.